brothers and sisters in Christ. Today we begin a new series called Reality Check, where we will focus on the historical characters of the Old Testament for the next number of weeks. Today we'll take a look at one of the characters that you may not be as familiar with, King Jeroboam. Before we get into the story of King Jeroboam, I probably would be best to give you a little bit of background. So if you could move to the next slide. As we begin, one of the things for you to be aware of is most people have heard of King David. King David, it was said, was to be a man after God's own heart. God promised to King David that he would have the Savior come from his family tree. That someone would sit on the throne of Israel forever. David often remarked, who am I that you would give such promises to me? But David, as we know, both from the way he raised his family, as well as his sins with Uriah and Bathsheba, was no perfect man either. And so he had many sons who, it seemed to be, would be fit for the throne. But God had chosen that out of all his sons, Solomon would be the chosen one. Solomon is regarded as to be one of the most wise men that have ever lived because when given a choice by God, ask one thing and I will give you whatever you ask. Solomon asked for wisdom. But it seems as you study the Old Testament that Solomon's wisdom and maybe more importantly his love for women led him astray. Over the course of his hundreds of wives and concubines, in order to save and appease them, Solomon to keep the peace, gave them all the space that they needed, both the high places, the mountains, as well as temples and offerings and money from the treasury to worship their foreign gods. God got so angry, again and again he rebuked Solomon, but Solomon didn't seem to get the message in spite of his great wisdom. And so God at one point told Solomon, I am going to take away the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to another. But for the sake of your father David, I will leave the southern kingdom, Judah, to David's family tree. But the northern kingdom, what will now be called Israel, will be given to another. And that person that God chose to give it to was Jeroboam. Jeroboam seems to be, from what we learn from the scriptures, a man of considerable talent. He was very regarded in regard to his ability to lead people and to manage things. He was a foreman in charge of much of Solomon's construction, which when we read, was great. But as things began to unfold, Solomon started to recognize that indeed it was Jeroboam who God was going to give his kingdom to and not just his son Rehoboam. And so Solomon went after Jeroboam. Here we see Abijah, um, Ahijah, excuse me, coming to Jeroboam uh, and to let Jeroboam know that God had chosen him and called him to be king. And so we read on the screen from 1 Kings chapter 11, however, Ahijah speaking to Jeroboam, however, as for you, I will take you and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and my commands as David, my servant, did, I will be with you 
and I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this, but not forever. If we'd go to the next slide, we see some amazing things in these words that this prophet of God say to Jeroboam. God, out of all the men in Israel, has chosen you. And not only has God chosen you and found favor with you, God has called you and now is going to give you authority and power over his people. He promises to be with you. He promises to give you your heart's desire. If you would simply do one thing, honor him by the way in which you live. Follow his decrees. And if you do this, God promises to Jeroboam, I will give you an amazing dynasty for generations to come. What a gift. So it leads us to the next slide. Can you imagine if God sent a prophet and said the same thing to you? Now, if, ladies, you want to assume queenship, that's fine with me for the exercise. But the point being is, can you imagine a prophet of God truly coming to you and saying, I'm going to make you king. Not a king like in Britain with a parliament that you have to answer to, not a president with a congress or a supreme court, but truly just king over all of my people. You may choose your own advisors. What you say is law. And I have promised to give you this authority and to make you into a great nation and a great dynasty if you will do just one thing. Follow my decrees. Glorify me. But I want you to remember the reason I am giving this to you is because of what your predecessors did. They didn't do those things. And I wanted to bless them too. But they have chosen to forsake me for other gods. They have chosen to use their power and authority in a way that is not godly, that is not a light to the Gentiles around them. And so I have taken that from them and I now want to give it to you. I promise to be with you. Can you imagine being king? I don't know, like the idea to me would just scare me. I generally don't handle the little bit of authority or power God does give me quite well. I can't imagine if God in his grace gave me a whole bunch of it. How would you use it? What would be the things you would do, the laws you would decree on the very first day as king or queen of God's people? Well, let's take a look at how Jeroboam used his power. We continue with then our reading found in your bulletin, the reading for this Sunday, taken from 1 Kings chapter 12. It is a little bit long, so please follow along either in the bulletin or on the screen. Then Jeroboam, now that he has been made king of the northern ten tribes, fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Peniel. Jeroboam thought to himself, The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David, if these people go to offer their sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. Then they will kill me and return to King Jeroboam. 
You see, the temple for God's chosen people was in Jerusalem. And four times a year, all Jews were to make their way to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer various different harvest sacrifices or Passover sacrifices to the Lord. And so now that Jeroboam has been given the authority and power to lead God's people in the northern ten tribes, his concern is they have to keep going south to worship the one true God. And in doing so, Rehoboam will have access to them. And the question is, will they long to be part of the old kingdom again? Will the king convince them that they ought to rebel against me? Will they kill me while I'm in my sleep? What could happen? What could happen? I don't know, but this isn't good for me. And so he seeks some counsel, and this is what he chooses to do. Verse 28, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to, even though that's talking elevation, not direction, to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, which is just before the border to head into the southern uh, country of Judah, and in the north, in the other, Dan. And this thing became a sin. And the people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Jeroboam built shrines on high places, those would be the mountains in the area, the ridges, and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not the Levites. If you remember the story of Moses, God had said that all the descendants of Moses' brother Aaron, all of his family, would be the priests to serve God in his temple. And of the tribe of Levi, they would work in the temple area to maintain and to govern and to care for and conduct the music. But you see, Jeroboam recognized that even though he built some churches and some false idols to worship, he recognized, i got to have some priests But none of the priests down from Jerusalem would agree to such a thing. So I know, I'll just make some. Would you like to be priest? We'll go ahead and give you all kinds of honor and glory. And I'll make sure that you're rich if you'll just do what I, Jeroboam King, say. And so we see not only is he violating that there is to be no graven images, but we see that Jeroboam has gone so far as now to usurp God's authority in the church by appointing people who have no business being priests and making them priests and Levites as well. All of this stage was really kind of set because Solomon, for two decades, had been leading the people astray with false worship as well. And so Jeroboam is just continuing what his predecessor Solomon had done. Seemed to work for Solomon. Maybe it'll work for me. And so now we have idols built, graven images of calves to worship and places that are not in the city of Jerusalem, God's holy place where he had put his name. And now we have priests who have no business being priests leading the people in worship of what? Statues? And then, above it all, when you really understand the text, what he is doing is ascribing to these objects the glory which God deserved by the power of His hand of rescuing the people from Pharaoh. And now He is saying, look at your gods. These are the ones that have rescued you. These are the ones that have saved you and can give you a future. No, Jeroboam is going very, very far astray, especially because God called him to govern 
the state, not to run the church. So we continue, verse, starting with verse, I believe it is 1. By the word of the Lord, a man of God... Oh, excuse me, I apologize, go back just a little bit. Verse, we'll start with verse 32. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his choosing, not of God's designated um, choices, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. And so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. By the word of the Lord, a man from, of God came from Judah, the southern region, to Bethel. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born of the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign, a miracle. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, the king stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Here ends our reading. So what kind of king are you? It doesn't take us long to recognize Jeroboam was not a very good one. God had come to him in his grace and call, chose him. God had promised to be with him and called him and given him authority, authority that Jeroboam otherwise would have never had, had no right to. God chose him and called him and gave him the authority and power to lead his people. Jeroboam, out of fear and out of control and power, decided he needed to do things his way. Because after all, he knew much more than God. And so out of fear, which often seems to manifest itself in a lot of different ways, such as anger or control or withdrawal, Jeroboam led his people astray. So what kind of king are you? All of you in this room, no matter how great or small, no matter male nor female, no matter whether we are eight years old or whether we are 80 years old, God has given to you authority and power. Luther would call it the doctrine of vocation, God's calling for your life. God has chosen you to be his child. God has called you to various different roles in this world and in this life, today, here and now, not sometime in the future. So how do you lead? 
How do you run the little kingdom to which God has called you and given you the authority? If we were to take a look at your marriage, for those of you who are in that wonderful institution, how do you rule? When things get difficult, do you withdraw? Do the silent treatment? Make the other person pay? When you think of the idea of marriage and all the games we play as two sinful people who promised one day in front of a whole bunch of people in a place like this, I promise to love this person more than myself. God be my witness. How's your oath going? Is that person there to serve you or are you in your marriage serving them? Are you quick to forgive? Or is that one of those things that we just kind of hold grudges for a good while? Do we communicate well? Or is this my area and I need to make sure that I take care of the finances because I don't trust the other person? How's your little kingship going? We can think of family. Scripture specifically says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Interestingly, it says none of the same to mothers. So fathers, how are you doing? Are you using your strength? Are you using your height and your voice and your facial expressions to communicate and to lovingly discipline our children? Or are you using it to make sure that they understand they have frustrated and irritated you and enough is enough? Mothers, how's the nagging going? How's the whining and complaining? Have you ever caught yourself talking to other mothers at Mother's Meetup group? My kids, they're just so frustrating to me. Ah, I just don't know if I can take it anymore. Have you ever considered when we talk poorly about our children, really more than anything, maybe we're just exercising, we don't know how to lead very well. And then we could get into areas like finances. Is it really yours? That little piece of the pie? Do we act like the world does in regard to our finances? Whether with my business or with my finances, do I, if you will, build my little kingdom and make sure that I've got enough for retirement and that I'm going to use my money in a way that makes sure that I have a very comfortable life? Are the finances for you and your glory and your safety or are they meant to glorify God? see as we're going through the list, and we can make it a lot longer, we kind of struggle with authority and power, don't we? We could go on to talking about work. Do you defend and respect your boss? As Scripture says, as Luther says in the meaning of the commandments, that you defend and speak well of him. Or are you the one who leads at the cooler the idea of how poorly your boss understands anything because he just doesn't have a clue. Are you thankful for the work that you have? Do you believe it is that you have a job because of your talents and your gifts, or do you believe it is because of the gifts God has given you to serve another, to make sure his or her company is successful? And bosses, how do you treat your employees? 
Do you give them your very best? Or is this your company? And people are going to do what you say. No, it's everywhere. This idea of authority and power. Big brothers and big sisters. You may think that you're not, if you will, as strong or as big as mommy or daddy. But how do you treat the kids at school that God has called as classmates? How do you treat your little sister when she's annoying you and just really more than anything wants your attention? Do you push her, shove her, yell at her, tell her to get out and shut the door? In all of these things we see again and again, God has called us to use the authority in the little kingdom, the vocation God has called us to. But too often, if we're really honest, when we look at a guy like Jeroboam, his sins become obvious to us. Are our sins obvious to us as well? And so in this series, Reality Check, you can start to see how this series is now going to kind of go. Let's take a look at how Christ is our King and what kind of King our Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, was. We see that He's a very different type of King. If you go to the next slide, we see in, in the Gospel of John, next slide please, we see in the Gospel of John that Jesus is standing before Pilate, the Roman governor, one of only about ten, a very, very powerful man in the world at this time, Pontius Pilate. And he's on trial for his very life. And here we see the following words. Pilate says to him, because he's trying to set Jesus free, but he realizes he's got a political mess on his hand, that there are more Jews in Jerusalem for the Passover than his Roman guards could possibly put down if they wish to riot. He's nervous. And while he may be the governor of the greatest military empire in the world, he knows in this moment they have him over a barrel. So he's trying to set Jesus free, but he's concerned. He's afraid, much like Jeroboam. So he brings Jesus back in and he says to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Even notice how Pilate positions that. I have the power. I am God in this moment. I could take your life or I can set you free. It's all just whatever I decide. But Pilate's job is to do justice. Pilate's job is to seek justice and justice is to be lined even in Roman society. The question is, will Pilate do what God has called him even through that pagan government to do which is to defend the innocent and to punish the wrongdoers? Well, that's the question that Pilate is wrestling with himself. But notice how Jesus responds in this issue of authority and power. He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus knows he could call the angel hosts to go ahead and put this at an end in a moment's notice. Jesus knows he could simply go ahead and show his glory and destroy all who are there. But Jesus chooses not to use his power for his own benefit. No, Jesus came and gave up his power so that he could serve us by going to the cross. In spite of the injustice he is receiving from the Pharisees and his church, in spite of the injustice he is experiencing from the government, all of which God created. No, Jesus doesn't use his power for his own glory, benefit, or comfort. He uses his power 
to serve. And so we see on the next slide where that led. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. What kind of king is that? What kind of king gives up his throne, his power, and his glory, and then allows the rebels, the enemies, to go ahead and to persecute him, to mock him, to treat him with such injustice, and then, as all of that is going on, prays that the Father in love would forgive them. Well, the king of kings, because no earthly king can love like that. And so as we take a look, we see in 1 Corinthians, one of the readings from earlier, we preach Christ crucified. Why? Because it is for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Our Lord is a unique person in all of human history. And it is for that reason that we worship him. Because as true man and true God, he came not to use his authority and power to condemn us, but to save us. And now God has called us, he has chosen you and called you to reflect that image, to reflect that glory, to make him known to others by the way you use your authority and power. How's it going? And so we recognize what kind of king are you? Well, because of Christ and by faith, I can say I'm a really good one. By Christ and by faith in Him, I can say I'm a saint. And that God Himself has made His home in me. And that God Himself has given me His Spirit so that I can be the kind of spouse God has called me to be. That I can be the kind of parent God has desired for me to be. That I can be patient and kind, full of joy and discipline, but that that discipline is done out of love, not out of anger, frustration, or irritation. I recognize that my finances are finances that are not mine, but I am simply a steward. Like Jeroboam, God has given to me these things for a period of time, but they're not really mine. No matter how much money I may invest or earn, no matter how big my house or houses may be, no matter how great the company may become, all of it is His. I don't have to try to control it. I don't have to be afraid of losing it. I'm just meant to steward it in a way that glorifies God with what He has entrusted to my care. And when we quit looking at those things as ours, when we quit connecting our reputation to it down here below and connect our reputation and identity to Him above, when we recognize our calling, it is simply to glorify our Father, to make Him known by the way we love, and by the way we discipline, by the grace and the truth we show to others. By God's strength, I can do that. By God's strength this week, you can go be who you want to be, who God has called you to be, because that is the power of Christ and the Spirit to allow you to do so. And so because we are chosen by God's grace, because we are called to lead, but to do that by serving, we truly can glorify God in all that we think, say, and do this week. May God give you the strength to do that and to live according to His will. In Jesus' name, amen.